Welcome to the Free Parking Show with your hosts, Amos, Rich, Ryan, and Peter. Four sports journalists cover the world of sports with the utmost professionalism, or as much as they can muster after five beers. Welcome to the Free Parking Show. We have an extra special show for you tonight. I have a very special guest, as I'm sure you all know. Uh, before we get to that, though, uh, text us in tonight at the same number, 740-206-8850. Uh, we're going to take three questions from our fans, or three to five questions from our fans. Uh, we'll ask them. So send in your best question, uh, and it'll get read on air if it's, if it's one of the best questions out there. But without further ado, we have a very special guest with us tonight. Um, two-time IBF cruiserweight champion of the world. Uh, an adding boxer with a professional record of 28-7-1. and one, uh, Steve USS Cunningham. How are you doing tonight, Steve? Oh, I'm good, man. I'm good. <laughs> so, Steve, man, me and you, we actually served together on the USS Enterprise back in the late 90s. I think it was like ninety. I want to. Say, I don't think it was the deploy the ninety eight deployment because I know that you got out. And I think it was probably maybe clutched together. Uh, you know, and yeah. one of the things that <laughs> I, I don't know if you remember that or not. I think it was one fuels watch we stood together, but we uh, we we spent some time walking the boat, kind of shooting and whatnot. And you know, one thing that I've learned after I've gotten out of the military is I love telling my sea stories. Uh, the first question we have for you tonight is. Do you actually have a special sea story that you tell to others about your time in the military? Oh yeah, <laughs> I got I got one story that I tell a lot of people, and it's it's pretty funny. I uh, when I first I ju- I joined the Navy straight out of high school just to really have something to do and get out of Philly. You know, um, there wasn't too much for me to do here. I felt I would get my get into some trouble. You know, and I didn't want to work at Checkers and McDonald's, so I was like, let me join the military. So uh, the Navy recruiter was the first one I saw, and that's it. So when I graduated boot camp, got on, got to my ship, uh, the USS America, my first ship in 96, and we went on our first deployment. You know, we were going out to sea for the first time, and that's when it hit me. I was like, why the hell did the Navy? <laughs> <laughs> All that water, man. It was just like, what am I doing on a boat? <laughs> well, excuse me, a ship. <laughs> so, uh, no, we call yeah, it a boat now. Yeah, exactly. So, I, um, you know, that was, that was, uh, I thought it was real funny because it was, uh, wasn't nothing I could do. Then I was all in, you know, like, why? I want to, you know, you know, most guys, they want a gun in their hand. <laughs> I'm on a ship getting seasick. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the funny story is, is I don't know why I joined the Navy either. So it was like my dad said, well, he, my dad, well, my dad was the one that introduced me to the recruiter. And at the end, he had sold me like the world. Like I was in, I was in it to win it. And I looked at my dad and said, dad, what do you think? He said, you're a grown man. This is your decision. I just wanted you to sit down and talk to him. And that was it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, at that coming out of high school, you know, I was, I was, uh, at, at one point in time, I was a, a street kid. You know, I was doing some some street things, and uh, a light did go off before I went to tenth grade. And it was like, whoa, you gotta cut this nonsense out and graduate. And I was like, damn, yeah, you're right. And 
that's what set me off to my 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 path of uh, being an adult. You know, just getting my stuff together, finishing school, and joining the navy, and then that's the rest is history. All right, Steve. So as I introduced you, uh, your nickname is USS, based off your time with the Navy. Uh, was this something given to you, or did you uh, pick up the nickname for yourself, or how did that come about? Uh, we we picked up the name USS in I think 2004. Uh, you know, years, four years after I turned pro, uh, because you know I had I had you know every every fighter's got that that moniker that name, Lander Real Deal. You know, Iron Mike Tyson, you know, uh, Steel, Dr. Steel, Hammer Klitschko, <laughs> you know, so I, I was trying on a few, uh, to, to, you know, to, to fit and they just didn't fit, you know, like Steve, beautiful soldier, cunning. I had a few different crazy names. I was like, I want, you know, this fight, it, it didn't sound good. You know, I wear it for one fight, but me and my wife was like, hey, what about USS coming in? You know, you did start boxing in the Navy. You know, um, I did kind of make naval history uh, by becoming a, a, a world champion. Um, the, I think second only guys out of the Navy to be world champion or something. So, you know, we, we just picked USS. And then also because it was like, wow, you're like a ship of war, you know, traveling the world. And that's exactly when I started traveling the world, South Africa in 2004, then a, a year and a half later, Poland twice, Germany, six, seven, eight, nine times. So... It's like I'm a dip, man. You know, just going around dropping bombs. That's a good answer. <clears throat> I like that. Uh, Steve, do you think your military experience gives you an edge, like, in the ring or in your training at all? Yeah, I totally believe so because um, in the military, you're pushed. You know, uh, you're pushed from the first day you're there. From the first day you get off that boat in the boot camp, you're pushed to limits that you didn't know you you would be able to go to and go beyond. But, you know, getting up at five in the morning, doing working and standing for so many hours at attention and just doing all the things that they have you do. And then you got to train and learn and read books and pass college course, you know, um, lessons, you know, and, and they want you to put flying colors. That gives you such a, a drive and push in a workout that, that I just can't explain. You know, I know I can get past any workout and any opponent. It's just a, just how we're going to do it. I know I can do it, but let's figure it out. So I believe I totally have an advantage um, through my military background. That was a great answer. Uh, before I ask you, if I <clears throat> ask you this question, Steve, I just want to first wanted to thank you for your service in the military. I, I do appreciate it. So thank you. And um, so my question to you is, how did you originally get into boxing? You know, like what, what, uh, what made you want to start uh, boxing after your military career? Well, I um, originally, even before I even uh, joined the Navy, I was trying to get into boxing because I, I liked it. And, and you know, growing up in Philly at, in the uh, early 90s, mid-90s, um, you know, Everybody didn't have guns at the time, so there were still fights in the street. And, uh, you know, I didn't have a, a, a crazy reputation, but I was known for fighting. And um, I ain't going to say I won them all, but, you know, I, you know, you didn't just bully me. So um, I really, some guy told me, hey, you should go to the boxing gym. You know, you, you, you fight pretty good on the street. Maybe you can go to the gym and be a good boxer. So one of the gym that was in my neighborhood, uh, I couldn't go to that gym because the guys in that gym – they didn't like me, you know, and they had guns and it was just a lot of beef. And I'm like, I'm not getting shot. (laughs) 
you know, so I'd stayed away from the gym. And uh, years later, I, I ended up, me and a friend ended up going, I'm about 16 now, me and a friend ended up going to the 26th and Master Street gym. The, that's the, the same gym that David Reed came out of and B.Y. Jennings came out of. Uh, we went there when I was about 15 or 16. And the coach, I mean, listen, this gym was wall-to-wall kids. I mean, I ain't never seen so many kids in a gym in my life before or after. And the, the, the coach was just like, hit the bag. And he kept telling us to hit the bag. Five days in a row we go and he just said, hit the bag. And I'm like, yo, if this dude tell me hit the bag again today, I'm out. And sure enough, he was like, hit the bag. You know, and I was like, man, screw this. And I left. <laughs> so then I joined the Navy. <laughs> I joined the Navy. And um, to my surprise, the Navy boxing team trained at the next base, which was like five minutes away from Northern Naval Station at Little Creek Amphibious Base. So I would just drive to Little Creek Amphibious Base after I would work about 3 o'clock, 3, 4 o'clock, me and my friend Stallworth, and we would just we would train in the gym, man. And I trained there by myself for about a year, and then a, a Marine officer, Major Hansen at the time, took me under his wing, man, and then that was it. You know, became the U.S. Navy um, light heavyweight champion, uh, silver medalist in the Armed Forces Tournament. Then I became a National Golden Gloves champion, you know, so I was rolling. So, yeah, you know, one of my favorite videos that I saw of you was actually, you know, we had Chad Koppenberger on. Uh, you know, he was with us on the Enterprise back in the day, and he was there when he did the, when you did the title boxing video. And, you know, you were speaking of, you know, you got out of the Navy to chase his dream. But I mean, yeah. every athlete knows, like, that they're, you know, that they can actually make a go with this. Well, when was that moment for you that you said, "Hey, I think I can be a pro with this"? Um, I, I, I had that moment, my first amateur fight. Um, and it wasn't I could be a pro at this. It was just, wow, I'm good at this. You know, like, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, um, my God, I was like, God, thank you, you know, like. I felt like it was God showing me I can do this. You know, um, that my first fight was against the light heavyweight champion of the, of the whole Navy. So, and this guy had about 70 amateur fights. He's been to the nationals. He's done this. I, this is my first fight. And I took the fight. My, my, my trainer lied and said, you know, I had 10 fights with 10 knockoffs just to get me to fight. <laughs> so, um, I took the fight and I beat the guy. I beat the light heavyweight champion of the Navy my first, fight so as an amateur so that's when it hit me then like wow I can do this but you know I knew like me as a person if I'm doing something I do it a thousand percent you know um so I don't go I don't go half-assed you know I'm, I'm boss to the wall with it so I just felt I felt that feeling then but when when I was in the Navy and my time was up before that that 98 deployment to uh, the Met- the Mediterranean Sea, I knew that I had to leave the Navy in order to chase this dream. Because if I would have stayed in, I just felt it was just like a voice was telling me I, I got to go chase this dream. And I just followed that. I listened to that voice and um, chased the dream of trying to make the 2000 Olympics. And really, I turned pro. I turned pro because, I mean, I was, what, 23, 24. Um, I, I didn't make the Olympic team. I was broke. You know what I mean? Um, I've been training for so long. I want to be pro, and I turned pro for necessity. And it was the next thing. You know, it was the only thing I could do. I didn't want to say amateur. I didn't want to be a grown man, thirty years old as an amateur. You know, that just didn't feel feel right to me. So I turned pro at twenty four. 
Alright, after turning pro, you went on an unbelievable uh, straight uh, 19 wins in a row uh, before losing your first professional fight. Um, and you lost <clears throat> in a, an IBF cruiserweight uh, title bout. And then, right after that, uh, came back with your very next fight to beat the guy that just beat you uh, to take your first title. Uh, I want you to kind of go through that, describe what it felt like to, to lose for the first time as a professional and then to come back and, and avenge your loss like that. It, man, to, to look, I mean, if you guys can look up some of the old articles about that, that fight was a total, I mean, I, you guys know my, my history. I've been getting robbed since <laughs> since then. That's when I first started getting a taste of the, 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 the robbery side of boxing. I mean, here it is. You know, you take a young guy, and I was 19 and 0. I was number one IBF. I go to, I have to go to Poland to fight because one, my promoter at the time, Don King, uh, didn't win the purse bid. So that means that the other promoter um, has control of the fight, and they can have it wherever they want. And they were from Poland. They wanted to have a fight in Poland. We were the first world title shot, title fight in Poland ever, and a second actually because it was a rematch. I made history there, which is wild. But, um, so they took control. So my promoter didn't care that much about me to protect me because we all know you go overseas, they going to get you. You know, they already got me and my wife, who was my manager. We always say they got one judge in the back. Actually, at some point we said they got two judges in the back. It's just a, it's just a, it's a corrupt sport because there's no real regulation. Nobody's really watching these guys. So the judges can be corrupted by the promoters. It just depends on who's got the money and motive. And there's so much money involved in this sport that people will cheat in order to to make their guy world champion. So I got in there and I boxed a I boxed a good fight with this guy, Shistov Zdarczyk. And um, the American judge, who I don't know from Adam, gave me 11 rounds to one. And the German and Polish judge, who both of them weren't even supposed to be there, we weren't even supposed to have a Polish judge and that German judge wasn't supposed to be there, but they got him in. They gave the uh, Ladarczyk the fight, and he became world champion. The reason we got the immediate rematch was because um, they did so many things wrong and, and against the regulations that we went with the drug test. They never gave us the after-fight drug test. So in the IBF rules, that's an immediate rematch right there. So... But after getting that loss and knowing that it was a robbery, that hurt so much. I mean, I, I was just telling somebody at the gym tonight about that. And I was just walking. I remember I'd be at home and think about it and just going to tears. You know, I was just so mad. I mean, it was just so wrong. I mean, it was like, at that point, I just didn't understand. At that point in time in my career, I didn't understand how people could cheat like that. I just didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um. All right, so speaking, I'm going to piggyback off of Ryan Asty there. Uh, what would you consider your most memorable fight to be? Oh, wow. I mean, my most memorable fight, I would say the Tyson Fury fight, and then I would say the Mansoor fight. But I will say my most, my most memorable fight and most gratifying and most – uh beautiful fight. Me and my wife has loved this fight so much. Is <laughs> the Marco Huck victory. 12th round stoppage of Marco Huck. Oh, my goodness. Man, listen, I was counted out months before we even got to Germany by American media, 
everybody in boxing in America, um, Europe, everywhere. Everybody thought I was going to get crushed by Marco Hooks. Um, I mean, I just this was my first title defense of the IBF belt. I just won it in Poland. Second time in Poland, just won the title. Now I have to go to Germany to defend my title. There's that USS ship of war thing coming into play. <laughs> and um, Marco Huck had, I mean, I, I watched him beat Vadim Tokarev, who was the then to be the future of the cruiserweight division. And Vadim Tokarev was a good, he was a very strong, good fighter. So I watched Marco Huck dismantle that dude, break him down and trash him. And I'm like, wow, this dude can fight. So I'm like, hey, if he, if he want my belt, then it's going to be the roughest fight of his life. You know, and I said that. And we trained our butts off, went to Germany, fought, fought this kid. I mean, it was so much. Everything was for him. I mean, I was in his hometown when he grew up. That's where the fight was. The crowd was for him. Everything was for him. And we ended up just breaking him down round by round, stopping him in the 12th, and, um, Re, re, you know, retaining the title. Oh, that was the sweetest victory of all time for me right there. <laughs> <laughs> and because Marco Hawk, he talks to me trash. You know what I'm saying? He, he just talked. And I, and I didn't even understand your know, German language at the time or Deutsch at the time. So <laughs> he was just talking so much trash and people were translating. I'm like, wow, this kid is super cocky. But we, we, gave him a, we gave him a nice big piece of humble pie. <laughs> all right so uh steve you made the jump from cruiserweight to heavyweight uh how hard of a transition was that for you it, it wasn't it was hard in the sense of trying to hold on to the weight you know because as a cruiserweight i really never went over 200 pounds 200 is the limit for cruiserweight and you know there's cruiserweights like david a dj flores um, I mean, a lot of cruisers, Guillermo Jones, those dudes would be up to like 215 and above and break down the cruiserweight. I, I was walking around at one, 193, 194, <laughs> you know? So um, making heavyweight, I had to change the way I ate. You know, I had to eat more. I really never drunk milk, so I had to start really drinking like shakes with milk in it, you know, like protein, and the, the biggest I ever got was 210, and that was for the Fury fight. But uh, my 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 normal weight as, as a heavyweight was 206, 205. I mean, there's times when I left the gym and training, I shoot for the Tarver fight, my last fight. I left the gym at like 199 one time, you know? It's just, my I work out so hard and so much, man, and, my, and I don't eat a lot, you know? I'm not one of them guys who's gorgeous, so I had to really make myself eat as a heavyweight, you know? That was the real, that was the only hard thing for me at heavyweight. Everything else, I mean, those guys are just bigger and stronger, and that doesn't necessarily that doesn't make you a better fighter ever, you know. Especially against a guy like me, I'm a, I'm a boxer. I'm in shape. I can go all day and I throw punches. So and with speed, I mean, that's all I needed was you know was speed and movement against those big lethargic guys. And uh, you see, I had success there. I mean. I had success. I mean, even some of the even the fights that I quote unquote lost, they were they were questionable with no doubt. But you know, that's the business of boxing, right, Jimmy? Yeah, we. I actually just watched the uh, Tyson Fury, the little standoff you guys had on uh, YouTube. Been watching a lot of your YouTube stuff lately. Real, real great stuff. Uh, what was one of the toughest fights you ever you've ever had? Your toughest opponent? 
Tucker's opponent was Tyson Fury because of um, <clears throat> because of I didn't <clears throat> we train we train when we spot with tall guys, but the way Tyson Fury switched it up on me after I heard him and knocked him down, those first three rounds were my rounds, no doubt. Even all the rounds, most of them rounds were mine. But those first three rounds, I really was, was hurting him and seeing him. And, you know, I put him down that second round. But what he did, which was, which even my trainer, Brother Nazim, said that was a great choice of him to do. You know, that's what he would have did if he was fighting me at that size. He was like Tyson Fury became the big man. You know, he, he stayed the big man. He didn't try to box. He didn't try to move with me. He just said, I'm bigger than this guy. What the hell am I doing? Let me just go be bigger. And that's what Tyson Fury did. He laid on me, leaned on me, got me tired, made me wrestle with him a bit. I mean, this dude is 6'9", 270, you know? So, and I was 210. Really, I drank a gallon of milk before I got on the scale. So I was really like 207. <laughs> so yeah, fighting yeah. this big, big, fighting this big, Hakeem Olajuwon, Shaquille O'Neal type dude. Um, I'm in there banging with him. I dropped him. I showed I had the power, but I sat in the pocket with him too much and allowed his his big man tactics to wear on me. And he just spun me, man. I was tired. Bit in the, in the what seventh round, I was I was tired, and I was and I was banking on my second win. You know, I'm like, all right, I get out this round. I know I got a second win. I know how I am in conditioning wise, but. You know, he did what he did, and he got the KO on me, and, you know, the fight was over. But it was a tough fight because of the tactics he was using, and the referee really wasn't calling him on those dirty tactics. But, I mean, really, you can't blame a guy. If the ref lets you do it, why stop, you know? So that was that was my toughest fight right there. For those that don't know, before Ryan asks the next question, picture, like, Shaquille O'Neal standing next to, like, me. It's like the the size that the height difference was remarkable. I mean, the guy had like what six or seven inches on you easily. When he yeah, stood yeah. up at the at that press conference, I was like, "Whoa, that's a big dude." Yeah, yeah. He was uh he was what six nine. I'm six three. He had six inches on me, and and I think and sixty pounds on me. So. You know, but listen, a fight is a fight, man. I don't care if it's yep. Godzilla, man. That's why I got a fight to get the world title, the heavyweight world title, or closer to it, then glove up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, before I ask you the next question, I want everybody listening uh, to remember, we're getting a lot of really good uh, texts in from fans. Uh, we're going to pick the top three text ends uh, for questions um, to ask Steve, so don't forget the number is 740 Two zero six eight eight five zero. Keep sending them in. We're getting some really great ones here. All right, uh, Steve. Moving into your last fight here, you took on Antonio Tarver. Um, the fight ended up ending in a draw, uh, which I know your feelings about that. I'm not sure if everybody uh, listening knows, but there's been a, a lot of back and forth uh, between you since then. Uh, do you care to comment on this? I mean, you know the the. The fight itself, I mean, I was in awesome shape. I was doing awesome things in the gym. And to get into the fight when the bell, I mean, and throughout all the trash that he was talking, and we had a nice back-and-forth verbal trash talk thing going that helped sell that fight. Um, but, I mean, I wasn't just selling the fight. Well, listen, I, I don't normally talk trash. So if I'm talking trash to you, I got, I got some bad blood. We got bad blood. So I just didn't like I mean, a lot of people don't like Tarver. Period. I mean, mostly all the people that I know that know him don't like him. <laughs> you know, so 
I'm like, wow, this dude got to be a prick. You know what I'm saying? But I found out later, but, you know, in the fight, the bell rings and he just doesn't want to engage. You know, and I'm like, I can't believe it. But, you know, what he was doing was he was basically suckering the judges, suckering the crowd into making it look like he was fighting. And he would throw about five punches around while I'm throwing at least 40 or 50. And he landed, what, I think four big shots on me up to like the fifth round. And then that was it. But uh, he, he basically, with his star power and, and who he was, he basically swooned the judges into a draw. And I was just baffled by it. I'm like, how, do, how does a dude throw 700 punches versus a guy who threw under four? How do you fight to a draw? You know, so that was really dis, dis, disheartening to me because I'm like, wow, the work that I was doing as sparring partners in camp, I felt I was going to stop this guy. And I had him a couple times in there, but I'm like, man, if I can't, if I'm fighting to a draw with a 47-year-old Tarver, I need to start, I need to chill. I need to sit my butt down, you know, and come to find out he was on steroids. He popped on the steroids. Cause even though the draw was shouldn't even have been a draw, it still should have been a win for me, but... He popped on a steroid test for two different um, steroids I heard, and today was the hearing, and he just got suspended and fined and all this and that, and he's claiming somebody set him up. I mean, this is the second time popping on the steroid test, getting suspended in two years. I don't think nobody set him up by himself. He set himself up, you know? And and I believe he's the, he's about the lousiest steroid user of all time, because <laughs> both times he used steroids... <laughs> <laughs> Both times he used uh, steroids, he fought to draws with his opponent. Kais, um, Latif Coyote, he fought to a draw with, got suspended. And Steve Kaye and me, he fought to a draw with, got suspended. And both times, he got caught using steroids. So he's the lamest steroid user of all time. I mean, damn. You use hey, steroids, hey. you're going to get a win. <laughs> so you were just talking about, before we move on to the next question I was kind of something you were talking about corruption and robbery me being mm. you know from the Enterprise and V4 and whatnot all the V4 guys were watching this fight and I think it was kind of a, a unity conclusion that you were kind of robbed in that fight as well looks like you were moving around the ring a lot quicker than what Tarver was Tarver looks like he's about a 90 year old man fighting a 15 year old kid in the ring that's how bad that match was I mean, you were quick, and Tarver just, like you said, he was just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting, and I'm like, is he going to engage him or what? And that's the thing. One of the things is, I mean, it's like Tarver is an accomplished star, you know, in the in boxing, period. I don't care how old he is. He's still Antonio Tarver who knocked Roy Jones out. He's still that guy who knocked out Jonathan Banks the fight before mine. He still has pop. Power is one of the last things to go in a fighter. You know, period. So I, I wasn't going to be stupid and just rush in on this veteran, you know, um, dude with power. And, and just so because he, he was just setting me up for that left hand shot. That's all he wanted to land. And me and my trainer, we, Nazim, brother Nazim, we were saying like, wow, he knew he was doing some extra juice. That's why he was just waiting around just to land that one big shot and land that one big shot just to knock me out. So there lied the question. What was Antonio Tarver known for throughout his career? A powerful left hand? You know, so if he got caught two times taking steroids, you have to question all of his big wins. I mean, all of them throughout the history of his career. You know, he stopped Roy Jones with one punch with what? That left hand? You know, so 
um, and, and ruined Jones' career. I mean, that's when Jones' career took a nosedive. So, uh, and he, he stopped Danny Green with what, that left hand in, in Australia for the IBO title. This dude has a tainted history now. There's no way he should go into the Hall of Fame or anything. Yeah, nah, yeah, I agree. So, Steve, uh, you know, obviously you're a tremendous athlete, tremendous boxer, very hard worker. Uh, is there anything in your diet, or what is your diet? Is there anything special in there that keeps you going, gets you in the gym, gets you better, gets you, you know, that energy to get going? No, I mean, I'm nothing special, you know. I, I, you know, like I said, I've always been underweight as a cruiserweight, so I could eat what I wanted. But I've always been underweight as a heavyweight, so I'm trying to make get more weight. So, but we, I mean, we do eat healthy during camp. I mean, I strictly stay away from sugars, and, and it gets to a point to where I don't even want sugar, anything sweet or candy bar or anything. It's just like I can look at it and just be like, oh, you know, after a few weeks, you know, of camp. But um, I just, you know, I try, we try to eat healthy. We get it cooked sometimes here and there. We get somebody cooked for us, and um, I just, you know, I, I try to eat healthy. Nothing, nothing, you know, specific. Like I eat this, I eat that for strength. I mean, shoot, I get sleep. You know, I take rest. <laughs> well, I mean, messing around with brother, you're going to be tired regardless. That dude works you out. In the gym, so uh, I don't care what you got, you still will be tired afterwards. But I mean, energy wise, you know, we. I mean, now with, um, I have a family member that has an illness and that made us look into organic foods and healthy foods and energetic foods. So I'm, I'm actually, this camp, I'm going to do it all, all, all organic and, and, and go this healthy, healthy route. So eating in like the next few weeks, next couple of weeks, I'll be able to give you something special. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, Steve, I, I, I want to ask you uh, this question. So uh, Cam Newton's been catching a lot of heat about how he was uh, with how he was with the media after the Super Bowl. So my question to you is, yeah. how hard is it to talk to the press after a tough loss? Man, it's, listen, Brother Najim, my trainer, said it like this. He says, why do you put a camera in the face of a fighter or an athlete who just performed, especially boxing? I mean, football and boxing are the same because you're taking punishment. You know, so and to the head too. So why are you? Why would you shove a, a a camera and a microphone in front of the face of a guy who just took who just took brain damage to an extent? You know, who just who, who's probably still wobbly. Look at Tim Bradley with um Provodnikov. He's like, man, I think I'm concussed right now. So most people can't hold themselves together. Another example, uh, what's his name? Uh, the kid from Golden Boy and Vic, um. The one who got knocked out by Matisse, and then he said, um, he was like, man, I don't need to be taking hits like this <laughs> anymore. Uh, I forgot his name, but he said that on camera, and everybody's like, wow, he said that, and it basically made him look like he was a chump or something, but it's like, this dude just got hit by one of the hardest punches in boxing, you know, right now, you know, so you, you, you're asking questions, and it's like, after asking him questions, and the scoopers aren't still together, the scoopers are still spinning. So, it's, it's, I think it should be a little time given to a guy who's taking some punishment, man. But that's, you know, TV, TV wants the shocking. They want the, the crazy because that brings ratings. So a dude gets hit by a freaking Mike Tyson. Let's throw a microphone in his face and see what crazy thing he says that's funny and that's going to bring us ratings or whatever. But 
for me, after a fight, especially, I mean, if it's a loss, I mean, I'm angry, I'm peeled. You know, uh, I, I know what fans want you to say. They want you to be, um, you know, what do they say? They want you to be a sportsman. They want you to be, uh, you know, all upright and standing. But, it's, I mean, for me, my losses have been robberies, you know. So I'm I'm PO, man. It's a good thing I don't say anything crazy, but I still keep myself together. With Cam Newton, I totally understand what he's going through. I mean, he said it. He said it himself perfectly. I'll show you a loser when 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 you show me a guy who's happy he lost. You know, it's like nobody's happy they lose, and and especially on that level. When I fought, I fought for a world championship and defended my title in Germany and lost it to Hernandez. And it was that fight wasn't a robbery. That second fight wasn't a robbery. It was too beaten, and I was pissed. I mean, I was mad. I wasn't mad at him. I wasn't mad at anybody but me because I lost. In that situation, I lost. You know, I'm pissed. So I, I really didn't do any interviews. It's just like, all right, we out. You know, I'm, I'm pissed. So I, I don't um, disagree with Cam Newton at all. Actually, I, I think he shouldn't even went to the press conference. Just, you know, people, but people are going to talk. If you go, if you don't go, if you leave, if you don't leave. I mean, but still, we saw, I saw the pictures of him and Manning hugging and smiling right after the game. So it's not that he's a sore loser. He's just a dude that don't want to lose. You know, like, like every athlete should be. So, uh, you know, I've actually been kind of following you around not, not, uh, through the, the Google News links, and there was an upcoming opponent that you had. Are you allowed to speak on uh, any upcoming fights coming down the pipeline there? Uh, we're just waiting on uh, waiting on a name. We're looking at a couple names and waiting on a specific date and place. But uh only thing I can tell you is it's going to be big, you know, when it drops. So nice, um, you know, nice. I'm waiting. And when I, I I moved down from heavyweight, I'm back down to cruiserweight now. So we're you know we're looking to do big things in the cruiserweight division, uh, become a three-time cruiserweight world champion, and just go from there. Ryan, are you there? Oh, yeah, sorry, guys. I had my mic muted there. Uh, <laughs> so right now you're sitting at 39 years old, uh, boxing. Is there any thought of retirement at all in your mind right now? I mean, yeah, yeah, there is. I mean, I'm not, I'm not crazy. I'm not stupid <laughs> either, you know. So I know I'm, I'm at a place where I can, I can, I can make some good money, you know, some good retirement money. Um, but the not stupid part is. I'm not just here just to make some money. You know what I'm saying? I'm here to be world champion. I mean, you guys see me. My thing is, you know, people say only 39. And I'll be like, well, how did I look my last fight? How do I look physically? You know, um, did I did I look like a 39-year-old man, you know, or, or regular man? They're like, no, I feel 22. You know, I feel like I'm actually getting better since I've been with Brother Nazem. So um, I, I don't feel, I don't, I mean, age, age doesn't mean nothing to me. You know, it's just, I, we work, you know what I mean? We work hard. We 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 work like teenagers out here. So, um, but I do. I don't want to fight into forty four and forty five and forty three. You know, if I mean, if I'm able to make big checks and I'm still competitive at, at forty three and forty four, I mean, yeah. But, but then, I mean, really, 
So is the con- oh no the follow up question to that is the concur is the concussion and the CTE is is that always sitting in your back in the back of your mind as the older you get? Say that again. Is what is concussion? The, the concussion. You know, the NFL's got the concussions, and a lot of athletes are getting diagnosed with CTE from the head trauma. Does that sit in the back of your head at all? Nah, because it's you know, it's like it's one of those things. You know, this is boxing. This is what they call the hurt business. You know, you can't get hurt. I understand the risk. You can die in this thing. So you can't you can't let that sit on your mind, training or going into a fight because things won't perform. You know, uh, but I mean, after a fight, no, I mean, even before fights, we get CAT scans, we get, you know, um, EKGs, you know, you, you can get all this stuff, we get all this stuff pre fight. And I, for me, I've been cool, you know, um, but I do see fighters who haven't been, and man, it's just, it's just one of them things, man. I, I, I'm just praying that I'm not, um, damaged to that, to a, to a, to a bad extent when I, when I leave or any extent. And, and I'm able to still sound the way I sound now and think the way, you know, I'm thinking now, you know? All right, yeah. You uh, you mentioned you had some plans. Or do you have anything planned for uh, life after boxing, become a trainer, instructor, or open up a gym, something like anything in mind? Yeah, yeah. We, we've, got, um, we've got a few plans. I mean, uh, I'm going to start from lowest to the biggest. I mean, on the lowest level, me and my wife are looking to um, open the gym yeah, I live in the Pittsburgh area now. Out, you know, we we moved out of Philly, and we're looking at some buildings to open the gym. This is a um, a good right place to start a gym, yeah. Especially with a two-time or well, three-time world champion, <laughs> you know, um, we we would we would make a killing there. So we're looking at that. Um, I've got I've got this comic book I'm making. I mean, I I I. Art was my major in high school. I was originally going to the Navy to get college money to go to art college, but then I started boxing. So um, with all this downtime in training camp, I started a comic book about myself becoming a superhero and um, uh, turned some of the guys that I fought into villains. And, you know, uh, man, I'm almost ready to put this out. Hopefully before this next fight, I'll be able to put it out. Um, I've been working on this thing for years, and... um, it's the great thing about this comic book is it's going in action fight scenes. Like and you can you can Google some fight scenes and they're going to be the, the fight scenes in the comic book. You know, so um, I've got I've got a list of things. Hashtag USS Comics on Facebook um, or Instagram and it'll show you all of where a lot of the work that I've got. You know, USS Comics hashtag that. And um, after that, I mean, and I'm really if the comic book goes the way I, you know, I, I plan it to do. I've got other storylines and stuff, so we can spend something off of that. But the major, major thing outside of that I'm doing is I train my sons and my nephew. I, I've got the USS, hashtag USS Fight Academy um, for family members right now, uh, amateur boxing. So I'm taking them through the ranks, and they're looking really good. So um, then I'm doing also doing the commentary. I've been doing a lot on FS1 these past few months. Did some on NBC. And, and little shows around, you know, the uh, the, the east and east coast area. So, um, I think commentary is going to be my big thing outside of boxing. You know, if the comic doesn't blow up, tough. 
I enjoy solitary, man. It's a bomb, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's easy. It's what I've been doing for 15 years, and I can easily describe what I'm seeing to the fans, you know? That's awesome. You'll have to let us know when the comic book comes out, man. I'd like to get a hold yeah, of that. Yeah, and be able to, that yeah. That's, no yeah, doubt. That's I'm awesome. gonna, um, what, what I believe I'm going to do with the comic book first is I think I'm going to do, just to get it out quick, because I've been, I've been telling people about this and posting about it for years, and people are like, man, when it's coming, when it's coming, the art's looking good. Um, I'm thinking I'm just going to do an audio comic first or, or a visual comic first, like an online something first on the website, and then um, get you know get a book, get a book by the end of 2016. But I think that's going to take a little longer. But I'd just rather load stuff up on YouTube, on Facebook, on my on my Facebook page, U.S.S. Comics, on um, you know on the website that we're getting. Right now, working with Coyote Duran with that, and uh, just get this, get something out quick, you know, to the people. Something that just like, hey, he's here. I'm gonna be working on the second and third chapters, and the book will be out. All right, and uh, so my question to you is this: and we were talking about boxing, some of your fights. In your opinion, who would you call pound for pound for pound the best boxer of all time? Ooh, all time. Oh man. Me. It's like no. <laughs> um, That's a good answer. Yeah, right. I, I'd have to go with um I'd have to go with Ray Robinson or Joe Lewis, man, you know, because well, I think I go with Ray Robinson. I mean that dude was especially in those times, man, it was just it was just unbelievable, you know, that dude was special. I mean beyond special, you know. I had to go with Ray Robinson, no doubt. Great answer right there. Uh, we got the three. I whittled it down to three right now. Fan questions. We got a lot of really good questions, so thanks for everybody that submitted questions. Uh, but three of them that really stood out to me. First one here is from Dave. He says, uh, you mentioned like the cheating and, and the kind of the behind-the-scenes uh, sketchiness around boxing. And he wanted to know, is it still going on? Is it still as prevalent as it was when you first entered boxing? Oh, I, I think it's um, it's so prevalent. It's gotten it's to a smooth finest right now. <laughs> you know, it's um, it's a it's a well-oiled machine, and it's not. It has it's been there way before I jumped into boxing, and I think it's going to be in, in boxing well after. Um, I don't know if the, this guy was asking a question or you guys. I don't know if you saw that second Adamic fight that I had in Bethlehem on NBC, but. I mean, that's a prime example right there. You know, I I believe to me, and I'm a I'm a harsh critic of my of my performances, and I gave myself an 8.5 in that fight. Um, the tenth the tenth round was my best round. I mean, I think I landed at least five clean right hands on him, and he didn't touch me. And the judge, the one judge, Deborah Barnes, and I'm going to say her name, no doubt, <laughs> Deborah Barnes, who we found out was of Polish descent. Gave Adamic that round, and the other judge gave Adamic that round, and we're like, "Wow, that was my best round." So, um, I you can you can you can you can say it, which I believe is judging error more so than somebody sliding them a check. But I'm not ruling sliding them a check out, no doubt. But um, on, on favors, but you got to look at these judges, man. It seemed like. In the past, like, six years, seven years, there's been a criteria by the judges to make fighters fight a certain way. You know, I mean, you see she's playing outbox 
Pumas Avenue in 2012 and get get robbed. First they call it a fight of draw, then they call it a split decision win, or then they call it a, a win for Adam. And it's like, wow. Then you see another fight where a guy who's a boxer and he gets robbed. And another, and another, and another. And that's kind of what made me fight a certain way against my next fight in the Tyson Fury. Because I'm like, these judges are trying to make you fight a certain way. They want to make you become a brawler instead of a, a boxer in order to get their nod for the round. And I felt like, even though I was putting work into Tyson Fury, I still felt like I needed to do more and more in order for the judges to give me the round. And that's why I sat in the pocket with them more. And that caused me a KO, a KO loss. So um, I think, I think until boxing really analyzes, really puts these judges under a microscope, and spends the money, spends the time, and uh, to educate judges on a one set up criteria of this is how you judge a fight. I don't care if you like punchers. I don't care if you like a guy who walks forward. This is how you judge a fight. I don't care if he's walking forward. I mean, they, they gave Adam Brown saying, oh, he was walking forward. What the hell does just walking forward do? <laughs> you know? I, mean, so, I think we're going to see shady decisions just on the sole fact of us, the boxing fans and fighters and the judges, not knowing what is the, the, the normal criteria that judges judge under. Because these judges are just doing whatever they want to that was a great question submitted by Dave. On to the next one here. Uh, Mike has sent this one in. Uh, if a Tarver rematch came down, would you be excited to take it? Oh yes, <laughs> indeed I would. I would. I, I was about to see him today about a rematch, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to go into the, the back and forth on social media with that with that clown. You know, he just that's that's his world talking. You know, you, you can't beat Tarver in a coffee match. That's what he does. You know, he's he's a great commentator. He, I mean, I agree. He's a good commentator. He does it very well. He speaks very well, and he knows how to. I mean, shoot, he talks his way into the Roy Jones fight, and then you know, talks his way into the Roy Jones rematch after Roy clearly beat him the first fight. He told he made everybody think Roy didn't. So then people were like, oh, I can't see a Roy Jones rematch. And guess what? He closed his eyes and see that left hand and then hit Pedro. Made him a rich man. So um, you can't win in a, a, a babbling battle against Tarver. So I, I want to tweet, tweet back and forth with that guy and just let him have that. But he says he wants a rematch. I totally doubt if he really does because this time he won't be able to use the juice and he won't be able to just get a draw. He will get crushed. All right, there we go. That's what I want to hear. Uh, one last one from a fan here. This one's from the 301. What is the after party like after winning a world title? <laughs> oh, man, you, you're talking to Steve Cunningham, man. My my entourage is a five-year-old, <laughs> a eight-year-old, a 10-year-old daughter, 13-year-old son, uh, and two-year-old nephew and my 16-year-old cousin. You know, with my wife. So uh, we got a picture after our big win against Mansoor, winning the USB Heavyweight title. And in, it is, um, I don't know, it's somewhere on Facebook or something. My wife posted it. And we're all blacked out in the hotel room. And she was like, this is after party. This is how we do, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a, um, I never had an after party. Well, I had an after fight dinner. 
after the Adamant fight, which was which was the darn crying fest for me. <laughs> but um, I don't um I don't I never had like one of those after fight parties. I mean, listen, I'm a married man. I love my wife. I, I don't um I'm all about my kids. I don't do the clubs. I don't do the parties. I listen. I clubbed enough in the Navy for two. Two lifetimes. <laughs> so when I got out of the Navy, I was I was over the club. You know, I was good. So I was over the party. I mean, I, I'll party here and there. But after the fight, man, I'm tired. I gave 100,000%, man. I'm ready to go eat, lay down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Steve, we're going to head into a speed round here. Just a couple uh, fast-paced right. questions. This is, the, this is the speed bag of the interview world. Are you ready for this? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, uh, intro song. Intro song, uh, Corey Red War. All right, if you could get in the ring with anybody, any boxer, past or present, who would you want to fight? Sugar Ray Leonard. Woo! <laughs> Good answer. Who's your favorite boxer of all time? Chris Bird. Right, and uh, what was your what was your best or favorite location you've ever boxed in? South Africa. Oh my goodness! Favorite sport besides boxing? Uh, paintballing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this might be the toughest question we've asked you all night. Being a Philly guy, what's the best place to get a Philly cheesesteak in the in the city? Jim Steaks in South Philly, babe, on South Street. <laughs> Who's the hardest hitter you've ever faced? Oh, man, sore. All right, and uh, on the subject of boxing, what is your favorite boxing movie of all time? Creed. Oh, man, and I, I was in that, too. I had a little cameo in that. <laughs> and now I'm going to have to go see the movie. And last but not least, fastest hands you've ever faced. Okay, Mansoor. I'll say Mansoor had some fast punches. Those, that, that second knockdown, I did not see those two punches that he hit me with. I did not see it. So I say he was probably one of the fastest guys. I mean, fast and powerful. You know, he was, he was very fast. Then he beat me to the jab in the beginning, first round. I was like, wow. You know, I, <laughs> the speed surprised me, man. He's a very fast dude, but. Yeah, that's about it. I mean, most of these guys I fight, they're just they're known for like power and size, you know. That's speed. I guess All if right. I get that sugary lady, that you know, it'd be easily him. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask you a question. If Tarver's listening in tonight, Steve, what would you have to say to him if he's listening to you right now? What do you got to say to Tarver? 
question of the night that we got here for you Steve are we going to see Steve Cunningham uh, get a heavyweight title around his belt um, well yeah that's still in the, you know that's still in the picture man I mean listen I fight one of these cruiserweight world champions become a cruiserweight world champ that gives me an immediate doorway to a heavyweight champion you know what I'm saying so we may see that you know uh, that's one of my goals for my exit strategies uh I didn't just give up on the heavyweight division. I'm just taking a break from it right now. <laughs> and we might be back, you know? Totally believe that. All right. Uh, well, we wish you nothing but the best of luck. You were an excellent uh, guest on here. It was awesome talking with you, Steve. Thanks a lot for joining us tonight. Yeah, very, very much uh, appreciated for coming on with us tonight. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I got, I got you, man. I got you. <laughs> All right, then. Peace. All right. See you later, Steve. That was Steve Cunningham, two-time IBF Cruiserweight Champion. Uh, go ahead and take us out, Ryan. All right. Excellent guest there. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, always awesome to talk uh, to anybody who's as passionate about it, what he is. As, as Rich just said, uh, Steve Cunningham, um, and thanks a lot to him for joining us. Uh, yes. Do not forget to tune in tomorrow night. It'll be uh, Peter and Rich doing the free-for-all uh, this Friday. What's the movie for this week, guys? Training Day. Training Day. Good one. And speaking and then, of boxing, now we're talking about training. <laughs> 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 and then, like I said, just a friendly reminder, there is no movie of the week after this. Uh, next Friday is The Walking Dead. It's just going to be a Walking Dead recap show. Followed by a little bit of tidbits of entertainment news. 
All right. So thanks a lot for joining us tonight. Big thanks to Steve Cunningham uh, for being on the show. Um, uh, thanks, everybody, for their texts and questions tonight. Uh, and we'll see you tomorrow night for the Free For All show. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Free Parking Show. To hear the boys live, tune in every weeknight at 9 p.m. Eastern. 